All right. Hey, welcome back to another exciting episode of Spellstorm Miniatures. My name is Jeremiah. I'm Dan. And we have a very special guest to share with you today. I personally am so excited because James is one of my most favorite people in all the whole world. And he moved away from me. Uh, uh, but true. now I get him tonight to share <laughs> with everyone who listens to our podcast. James, say hello to everyone. Hello, everybody. And it's it's nice to be back with you, Jeremiah. Oh, I love you so much. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so we invited James on because, one, he's a super creative and thoughtful person. Um, and, but two, he has a new Kickstarter that's coming out. And so I wanted to let everyone know about it. And, you know, and normally, you know, we are a miniatures based podcast. We all play miniatures, but we all also play RPGs, card games, board games, and computer games. All the games. Am I right, Dan? Yeah, pretty much <laughs> all, <right>. the games. <laughs> all the games. All the I mean, games. They're all good. Why, why yeah. do that to yourself and make yourself choose? <laughs> so. But I'm super excited um, to share your project with everyone, and I know that there's going to be people who listen to our show on the regular who um, who are going to be keen on this. And so, uh, so I'm super, super jazzed. Um, why don't we start like kind of sort of from the beginning? Uh, why don't you let us know kind of like who you are, kind of where you got started in gaming, kind of who you are and where you got started in gaming, and then and then where uh, where you are now. Before we get to the actual project, I just want to—I just want to introduce you first, so oh, yeah. I know who, who we're talking to. Yeah, absolutely. So, <clears throat> how I got started in gaming—an essay by James. Uh, you know, when it when it comes to gaming, like for me, what really unlocked like gaming as something more than like the Monopoly game you quit halfway through uh, <laughs> was role-playing games. You know, this was this was before board games are seeing like the huge resurgence they are now. And like, yeah, there were like the non-monopoly games out there and whatnot, but they they weren't as accessible as they are now. So we're like talking like the really heavy like Avalon Hill uh, war games and things like that. Yeah. Uh, so it all started when I went over a friend's house who had been going over their house for like two years or so at this point and their cousin was in town. And whenever their cousin came to town, they ran Dungeons and Dragons, and one of the regular players wasn't there. So they're like, hey, or sit in, play this game. I'm like, okay, I don't know what's going on. So they handed me a character. Uh, it was 2E at the time, so <gasps> good Thacko, you know. My favorite uh, edition. No. How did I not know this about you? Well, you know, there's so many things to know. Uh, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Uh, you know, like, it, I hate to digress so early, but... There are so many things I love about 5e, but non-weapon proficiencies really have a have a spot in my heart, you know? Um, so we started playing, and like I, I remember the scene from this first game very well, and I, I doubt I'll ever forget it. It was like, it was a dungeon slog, you know? So we're going through a dungeon, and in this room, there is a gelatinous cube with a sword floating in it. Now, the person who was running the game didn't call it a gelatinous cube, and I had never played before, so I had no idea what a gelatinous cube was. Just like there's this clear, jelly-like cube floating in this room, and there's a sword in it. And so, like, your young, uh, like, 
on the verge of teenage mind, it's just like, well, obviously that's magic, but who wants to reach their hand in that, you know? So after half an hour of sitting at the table trying to decide what to do about just gelatinous cube, I knew two things. I knew I was hooked on the game and I knew that I wanted to be a dungeon master because I don't know why, but even that very first time playing, I was like, I want to run this game. That seems so fun. Um, so that was my introduction to gaming. And then uh, I really went into the deep end when I got a job at a gaming store in <laughs> Portland, Oregon. And then it was all the board games and all the miniature games and all the role-playing games. and magic on occasion but it was it was hard to keep up with magic when everything with everything else going on too yeah that that's true oh man uh so uh so two so two we but i imagine you have a whole history of playing a lot of other things now too yeah absolutely um so two e i strangely never got to play three or three five at all oh interesting. Uh, that was like, it came out in my early 20s and I was too busy being cool or something really not cool or something like that. Yeah. So uh, I just wasn't playing games for a hot sec and I missed out on what so many people say is their favorite edition. Um, and then I played fourth for a hot sec and uh, after playing fourth, I was like, this is fun, but it makes me want to play second. So that turned into a second. But then uh, after working at the game store, I, I discovered just how many amazing RPGs are out there. And so now the the collection has grown and grown, and I've I've read many more than I think I'll probably ever play at this point. But uh, yeah, yeah. I, have a, I have a host of favorites right now. I think being an RPGer, um, it's a lot of fun to just read the rules. A lot oh, of yeah. Sometimes, sometimes some of them are so well written; they're entertaining. Like, yeah, and and they they immediately capture your imagination on on what the, it would look like, you know, with a group of friends and around the table and. Yeah. Then you get into people's like weird world building stuff and you're just like, yeah. how, how do you even think this up? This is so imaginative. And like, you've just turned the fantasy trope on its head in a way that reading fiction doesn't really do. Yeah. Dan and I, uh, so I, my first introduction to Dungeons and Dragons was real young too. And it was something that didn't last. I was sort of like a, a guest at, you know, at the table too. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I wasn't one of the regular players, but years later as an adult, Dan and I, you know, connected and became friends. And my first experience with third edition was with Dan's group. And uh, it was a lot of fun. And I think I did something super foolish and my <laughs> half orc monk got his head cut off. Um, oh no. Yeah, but, instant kill. Yeah. Like roll to confirm, confirm. Like yeah. it was bad juju. I felt so bad about that one because you ran off on your own and it's like, no, this is like your what, first or second game? Like literally. It was I, the fourth session. It was the fourth <laughs> session. Okay, sorry, you made four sessions. Four sessions in this game. And he goes, I'm going to run off and chase this one guy that's running off in the woods by himself. I'm faster than everyone else. I'll go what get him. What did go wrong, really? <laughs> exactly. I was fast and, and I was, you know, but, you know, it happened. It was pretty cinematic too, the way that the dungeon master described the events of, of how of how the guy was chasing turned around with a sword, you know, fly into the air and whoosh, you know, clean cut and oh no. It was pretty it was a it was if I was gonna die, it was the best way to die. I, so. I think there's something to be said for a good character death. And uh, you know, we're talking like if we're talking two E versus like five E or 
even yeah. going back to like old school essentials that's out now or things like that. Like, uh, I think part of the fun of some of those older systems is how much deathier <laughs> they can be. Yes. Uh, yes, I totally agree. Uh, I agree totally. Um, you mentioned a couple minutes ago that you have kind of like uh, a, a small sec uh, selection of your favorites. Um, I would love to hear what other um, RPGs you're kind of into right now. So it, it, it ebbs and flows. It changes over time. But yeah. uh, for the past few years, one of my favorites has been Blades in the Dark. Yes. Oh, I love the system. It's just so good. It's so elegant. It does everything I want it to and never gets in the way, you know. Um, but I also like a lot of the uh, the 2D20 games, like Conan being my top favorite, but also Star Trek. Uh, I think those are a lot of fun, and those get the kind of... They, they scratch that crunch type of itch that Dungeons & Dragons does while still being so completely different. You know, they use 20-sided dice, but not in the same way that uh, Dungeons & Dragons does. And then uh, there's, like, the host of indie things. Like, I like Fiasco. Yeah. That never really gets old for me. When it comes to world building, I like Microscope. Uh, yep. Oh, The Quiet Year every so often is really fun. Now that one I'm unfamiliar with. It's, uh, it's a map building. Yeah, it's a map building game. Cool. And the idea behind it... and. In, the story is, is pretty vague, so it's up to you to interpret it how you want. The idea is, is that you are at war with the jackals. Are the jackals actual jackals? Are they a street gang? Who knows? But you're at war with the jackals, and it just ended, and you are gifted with one quiet year to rebuild and make something before the Frost Shepherds come. Who are the Frost Shepherds? Again, you get to kind of figure that out as you go, right? Wow. Uh, so it uses a deck of 52 cards. And on your turn, you draw one of these cards, and it has a prompt on it of uh, you discover something new, draw it on the map, or someone leaves the colony. Why? Like things like that. And you always draw it on the map. So you're always adding to this map as you go. And then after you resolve the prompt, you can start projects that have little tick down dice that you can draw on the map. Uh, and it's very free form, you know, like you just kind of build off of what everyone else is doing. And every time, there's a there's a different story that forms depending on who you're playing with and like some early decisions you make. Uh, but the king of spades, when you draw, I think it's the king of spades. Maybe it's the king of clubs. Anyway, when you draw that card, that card represents the frost shepherds, and it's somewhere in the last quarter of the deck. You never know when you're going to draw it, so you never know when the story is going to end. So you always get this kind of like, mm. I want to say unsatisfactory ending, but I don't think that's true. Things aren't resolved but it's still very satisfying in its own sense. You just get to wonder like, well, I wonder what happened to those people or just kind of give yourself an epilogue, you know? Yeah. Do you ever, can you play that game in one session or do you play it in multiple sessions? Like what, what's the, what do you do there? Uh, one shot, about three hours. Okay. Have you ever taken, taken the map that you've co-created and then built a world there and then, and then played in that setting with an, like another rule set? I haven't. There are definitely people that have, and it's always been a kind of like, oh, that'd be a really neat thing to do. Yeah. Uh, like I, I have three systems that I would like to try that with sometime. One of them being uh, the one we just talked about, A Quiet Year. Uh, there's Microscope, which is a history building game. Yep. So you can build the entire history leading up to your campaign. Uh, and then 
it, this will kind of ring in with what uh, I'm here to talk about today. Last year during Zine Quest, I backed a game called uh, Beak, Feather, and Bone. And it gives you a map of a city. And you uh, basically, it's uh, you build this city. You decide what's in the buildings, who the factions are, but they're all Kenku, right? They're all like Raven folk. Um, so that seems like it would be a fun one to flush out a single location in your game. And it could easily be hacked to do different types of settlements and things like that. Yeah. Okay. That is intriguing to me. I'm gonna, I might have more questions. We might have to follow up on that. <laughs> this is what happens when we don't see each other for a long time. Like, I know. I able to just do this at the game store all the time. I know. Um, well, let's, let's bring this up to speed. What do you do now? And, um, and what's life like for you on the other side of the world? So what am I doing now? Uh, kind of goes back to those two E days. One of my best friends growing up and through high school, his name is Brad. Uh, when we would go, he would come on summer vacation with my family and we'd go to the beach and instead of hanging out on the beach, we'd sit in a dark, dingy camper and play Dungeons and Dragons with each other. Uh, Perfect. So many, many, many years later, we have started a company called Crumbling Keep. And that's mostly what I do with my time. And we do professional dungeon mastering. We have a host of game masters that are really excellent. Some of them worked on like Watsi books and things. So it's like, it's a really cool wow. crew. Um, but then we also make a lot of like, well, up until the current project, it's been 5e content. Uh, we have a Patreon where we release it weekly. And currently we've been going through a uh, kind of like pseudo fantasy ancient Egyptian setting hex crawl campaign type of thing, which has been mm -hmm. really fun. Uh, but yeah, that's and this is our first non 5e project that we're about to release on Kickstarter, which I'm really stoked about. Ooh, tell us. Let's go there. OK, cool. Uh, so just a little background as to to what's happening right now. So for anyone who hasn't heard about it, every year for the past three years, this year included, Kickstarter has been doing a campaign in February called Zine Quest. And for the whole month of February, people kickstart their RPG zines. They get two weeks. They can only do a two-week campaign. They can only be printed with one color. And there's a few other rules, too, about how they can be put together and things. Uh, I didn't really know about it the first year. Last year, I backed a lot of stuff because there was just so many cool, exciting ideas. Uh, you know, when, when I was talking about earlier about getting excited about people's world building and things like zines just make it so accessible for both creators and customers. That's just, it's such a good way to get wild, wild ideas out there, you know? So I ended up with like campaign settings last year and like solo games and uh, just 5e, a lot of things, everything in between. Right. Nice. So last year I decided that I wanted to do a zine for Zine Quest, I wanted to get in on that. I, some point during those teenage years into the twenties, uh, I was going to like a lot of uh, punk shows, and I was making zines then, so yes. I kind of wanted to return to that. Uh, yeah, like that was my introduction to zine. So this is kind of like a a, a good uh, confluence of my interests coming together, right? Nice. So 
for Zine Quest this year, we are releasing a game called Marching Order, and it is a solo or co-op GM-less uh, dungeon delving game. And the idea is you can play it by yourself or with four people, or I'm sorry, up to four people. You could play it with less than that. Very good. Uh, between all of the people, you end up buying four rogues. Those I was was calling them adventurers at first, and that just didn't feel right. They're not they're not heroes. They're rogues. They're going in it for the money, right? So you buy your rogues, you pay them their money, you buy them their gear, and then you march them off into a delve. And it's inspired by, you know, there's there's a few inspirations I drew from. One of which is uh, a solo game book series called Four Against the Darkness. Uh, darkness, rather, where you also put together a party of four heroes and run them through random dungeons that are generated by dice. Uh, and also the Call of Cthulhu solo player game book series, which are kind of like choose your own adventure books, but add dice and a character sheet. So it's somewhere in between those. Mm -hmm. And also uh, the video game series of like Darkest Dungeon and things of that ilk, where yeah. the idea is you have to have your characters in what's essentially a marching order and their abilities reach so many spaces away. And so that's that was like kind of the core of it for me. So for instance, we have a character that's called the cell sword. The cell sword can hit someone up to two spaces away. So they need to be in one of the first two spaces in the marching order to matter. Uh, the archer shoots up to like four to five spaces away. The alchemist can hit people in the middle of the enemy's marching order. So every combat encounter has your four people in their marching order and four enemies in their marching order. And so it sounds simple that you just get people in the right marching order and you're good to go. And then you march them through these uh, battles. But then the enemies have powers that are going to shift things around. Like the spiders have a power called arachnophobia that might make you run back a space or two rather than be where you are. And just to add to that kind of chaotic feel that I wanted for this, like I wanted to be kind of like, Easy to learn, lighthearted, but with a good amount of strategy to it. And I think yeah. I really hit the sweet spot I was looking for. So at the end of each rogue's turn, they roll a dice that we are lovingly calling. And we were just going to do this for the play test, but it's making it into the book now. We're lovingly calling it the bullshit dice because into each rogue, some must fall. So you roll that at the end of the turn, and each rogue has qualities and flaws. And if you roll a six, your quality activates and a good thing happens. It might be you take another turn. It might be uh, like the archer, I think, gets to do like an arrow storm where it fires an arrow at every single person. Like generally you roll six, something cool happens. If you roll one, your flaw takes off, which might be something along the lines of that hangover from yesterday is really getting to you and you start getting penalties to your dice rolls and things like that. Uh, and as you go through the game, you can get more qualities, but also story choices might give you more flaws, which mm -hmm. brings us to the rest phase. After a delve, you can pay for a life coach to remove some of those flaws, which I kind of liked as a mechanic. <laughs> so it's all about the coin, right? You're paying your life coach to remove your flaws. If you want to level up, that basically means you're adding more skills. So you're paying someone mm -hmm. to train you in these more skills. Like each rogue has that basic attack, but then they have one special skill they start with that the player gets to choose, and then they can buy more, basically. And uh, like the skills all have like cooldown dice. So if, say, you are the knight and you want to do a shield bash, which gives you an extra attack that round, 
you can only do that every three rounds. So you put a six-sided dice there and count it down every round until you know you can do it again. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, it's all about the coin for these guys. Yeah. So is to resolve an action in marching order, uh, do you need, uh, is it a single D6? Yeah, everything is D6 based. It's all okay. roll against a target number, right? Like roll the D6, add your stat, does it meet or exceed the target number? Cool. Um, and then there's a, the outside of combat encounters too, which are resolved pretty much the same way. You have a bunch of different stats, you roll a six-sided dice, see if you meet the target number. But the way the game is arranged, it's kind of like a choose your own adventure, right? So yeah. when you go into the first delve, uh, which is what we're calling our adventures or whatnot, you go into the first delve, you get a picture of the opening hallway with the doors on it. And each door has the number of another passage next to it. So if you want to go in the first door, you go to passage number 22. If you want to go in that second door, you go to passage 33, right? So that's how the kind of navigation around these dungeons works. Because I want to kind of, uh, I wanted people to have to map their dungeon, and which is another kind of old school thing, right? Yeah. Uh, and also, I wanted to give people who wanted to use miniatures for this an excuse to bring out those Chessex mats with their little square spaces and draw the dungeon as they go and line their miniatures up as they take them through the dungeon, you know? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, some of them have decisions like, hey, there's three holes in the wall. Do you want to reach your hand into one? And each one of those will be a different passageway you can go to, uh, which kind of harkens back to that gelatinous cube, you know? Like, yeah. This sounds like a horrible idea, but how can I not do it? Yeah. See, I love uh, I love the mystery and the intrigue that comes with role playing games, and and I love it when uh, you know when as as a player, you know you you know you make a poor decision for your character, right? And then like you and then like something crazy or zany happens, or maybe you earn a cool nickname, like yes. So for a while, my daughter, my oldest daughter, was in our group for a while. And so we were playing like a traditional like fantasy kind of setting. I can't remember which rule set. I think it was 5e, actually, now that I think about it. And and so uh, through a series of choices that she made, she earned the nickname Elf Pudding. <laughs> Care to guess what she did to earn that nickname? <laughs> okay. I can, can I ask just one clarifying question before I guess? Yes. Was she playing an elf? No. Oh. Oh. <laughs> oh. It's what it's what happens when you uh it's what happens when you eat something that you don't know what it is. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. Okay. Poor I mean that, that's that's better than the, the elf beatdown that I first feared was happening, but oh, yeah. not much. Not yeah. much. <laughs> But but I love that, the intrigue there that, you know, and, and it sounds like Marching Order is trying to capture some of that. Yeah, and that I think also goes back to our discussion. Like, I, so first off, like, I love 5e. I'm, I'm not trying to hate on it when I'm like, in early editions, this happened. Like, I think 5e is really awesome at what it does. And yeah. I dig doing that. Uh, but to also go back to the, like, more frequent death kind of, it changes the way you play, right? Yeah. You know, in 5e, you wouldn't think about reaching your hand into a hole and having a save versus death and dying or anything like that. Uh, where Marching Order doesn't quite get to that level of, like, Tomb of Horrors level nonsense. But, uh, like, there's a, there's a part of it today that I was refining 
where the players find an idol. And they're like, oh, you can feel magic going through this. Do you want to try and uh, attune to that magic? And uh, the descriptions were really fun to write for the success and failure of that. But the failure kind of really does some not great things to your character. And I don't, I don't want to ruin it uh, for folks that may end up playing the game. But it goes back to that quality and flaw thing. It gives you quite the impressive flaw that you don't want to roll. <laughs> So what, so what happens if you order, roll something in the middle between a one or a six? Well, nothing right away. But as you get more qualities and flaws, it's basically like a, a, a list of one to six, right? Where one okay. is your first flaw and six is your first quality. If you get another quality, that becomes number five. If you get Ooh. another flaw, that becomes number two. So the more of these slots that fill up, the more, well, depending on what they're filled up with, the better or worse it could be for you. But the more that dice will activate at the end of your turn. Wow, what an interesting idea. Oh, I like that. Which is another reason you want that life coach, because your flaws are also taking up spaces that you could get better qualities in, too. <laughs> Just like real life, you know? Yeah, life coaches are good. Yeah. A little reprogramming doesn't hurt. I'm saying. <laughs> we can all use some from time to time. Nice. So with the special Kickstarter thing that's happening this month, it's going to be zine size, like, um, like I'm like when I was in zines, a lot of them were, you know, piece of paper folded in half, right? That's that size, whatever that is. Yeah, exactly that. That's what we're looking at. Okay. Um, you know, we're we're still doing layout, so it's hard to say what the page count is going to be. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's going to condense a little bit from what I have right now which is looking at like 80 pages, but I think some of that can be sucked up with better formatting. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I have a feeling it's gonna be a nice hefty zine. Yeah, that sounds like it. Yeah, we're starting out with uh, six characters and then we have a bunch more in the stretch goals. Uh, we have our cover artist, uh, Mustafa Bakir is, does awesome, awesome work. Very reminiscent of like, 1E advanced AD&D type stuff, the black and white line drawings, or like the hero questy old hammer type style. Yeah. Uh, I, I absolutely love our cover art, but one of the other stretch goals we have is because I just, it all started because I wanted to see him draw this, is the Cosmic Marine, because I just want to see his rendition of a space marine going into these dungeons. So I'm I'm pretty stoked about that stretch goal and really hope we hit it just for those reasons. But we also have uh, stretch goals for extra adventures. Like the book's gonna come with two, but we have at least one more in the stretch goals that I'm willing to talk about so far. And honestly, the biggest reason I hope it does well is because I've had such a blast making it that I want yeah. an excuse to do more. I want to make more adventures and characters and other things for this ridiculous game. Yeah. So when is the date? Uh, when does it drop? So it is going to drop officially uh, on my 40th birthday <laughs> on February 13th. Okay. That's a I, Saturday. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a pandemic. I'm not going out for my birthday or anything. So I thought what better way to spend it than uh, being really anxious all day about a Kickstarter. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things that you don't know, uh, Dan handles a lot of our video content for our YouTube channel. And one of the things that he does is, is a monthly Kickstarter video 
Uh, is it monthly? It's kind of monthly, sort of monthly. It's monthly. I try to get it out the first first week of the month. Yep. Yeah. So um, yeah. So uh, so we've been so we we have our pulse on Kickstarter, and and we like to and one of the things I really like is you know is supporting projects and artists, people that I know, you know, and so uh, I'm excited to be able to to put this podcast episode out and uh, you know and encourage everyone to go to uh all of your places so where would, where would we all find you at by the way well if you want to just like get a good well first off any social media you're on you can probably search for crumbling keep and find us there if you don't find us there what social media are you using like look at other options um <laughs> but yeah all the major ones facebook instagram twitter uh even looking into uh LinkedIn lately because of the professional DM services and things. So yeah, if you look at your social media and you look for Crumbling Keep, you're going to find us there where we put out, honestly, a lot of free content. Uh, some of it usable, some of it just entertaining. Um, you can also go to crumblingkeep.com to check out our website. And if you want to go right to Marching Order, you can go to marchingordergame.com. That's marchingordergame.com. Supposedly, some people say the site is not forwarding to the Kickstarter. So if you search for marching order on Kickstarter, that will also take you there. But the URL is long and nowhere near as easy to remember as the one I just said. So Yeah. And I'll make sure that I get a, a good link and put it in the show notes. Dan, you found it already? Yeah, it works. Marchingordergame.com. Nice. Awesome. Perfect. So, yeah. Um, cool. Well, before we let you go, um, you know, uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you uh, and this is kind of a weird thing like now that you like you are deep in the hobby right you're now a creator and you know has it has it spoiled you are you do you still enjoy games you still in like on the whole or or do you ever like just kind of get tired you know I, I almost have two answers for that right good so at the current time uh a large portion of my income that like that lets me to do all this professionally right now is running games uh the professional dungeon master side of things yeah so for that you know the the market for that is a lot of people who are getting into the hobby who haven't played before and they by and large want to play fifth edition because that's what's out and what they may have heard of right. and i don't blame them it's a it's a really beginner friendly game so while I still enjoy it, I don't play it for fun anymore. You know, like when it comes to running games with my friends, it's it's not going to be 5e just because I, I have enough of that. You know, I'm doing like four games a week of 5e. Yeah. Uh, so I, I want to let room for other things breathe if I'm running a game or playing a game outside of uh, work. But other than that, uh, and especially since I make so much 5e content too, um, yeah, it's a it's a lot of five E content, which is also again really fun to make. But as far as like dampening the game for me, I have no desire to stop making five E content because it's a really fun system to make for. My only regret is that I don't have time to make content for every system ever, or focus more on uh, my own systems. And when it comes to playing, uh, I'm always reading new books or like new little zine adventures or new whatever and thinking like okay how can i eke out more time in my life to fit just 
one more of these games because this is just begging to be run. Uh, I just got a one of my I just got a pre-order about five days ago. Uh, oh no! Oh no! Come on, brain. Ultraviolet Grasslands, UVG, Ultraviolet Violet Grasslands, which is kind of its own system. It's a huge campaign setting. It's a point crawl, and it kind of harkens back to, like, the heavy metal magazine or uh, cartoons, you know? It's just really weird and out there, and the players play people in a caravan leaving the last city to go out to the ultraviolet grasslands, which is this unexplored territory of strangeness. And like, I'm loving, I'm loving the way they have things set up in there. But the problem is the more I read it, the more I'm like, okay, how can I find time to run a group through this? And so that's the tough part. Uh, My love for it isn't sullied. It's just trying to find the time to do all the fun things that are out there, you know? Yeah. I feel that way about miniatures, for sure. Yeah. Um, you said point crawl. What's what is uh what does that mean? So, uh, uh, you're familiar with hex crawl, yeah? Yes. Okay. So point crawl, think of it like this. And another game that I read recently that makes a really good use of this is Electric Bastion Land, which is uh, also really OSRE and worth checking out. Um, so. For UVG, you have your first city, the city that everyone kind of starts in, and it's like a dot on this map, right? And so from the dot, you have your paths and your roads that lead to other destinations, which are other dots. So the idea is, is like you're not bushwhacking. You're not going through the wilds. You're going down these paths and going from dot to dot. And the way they have their setup is every path is like, this one takes one week to travel. This one takes two weeks to travel. So it's a way of having a sandbox, but controlling it in the way that a hex crawl is and that you know what is in each hex when the players get there. Mm-hmm. But you know what is potentially going to happen on each path they take or like what random encounters might happen there, etc. And then what is in each dot they get to as well, you know? Yeah. So instead of crawling through hexes, you're crawling from point to point. Okay. That's a fun way of organizing it. Dan, have you ever heard of that before? No, I have not, actually. I've never made one yet, but the more, again, the more I get into this book, the more I'm like, how do I find more time to both run this and make my own point crawl? So we'll see. Uh, I have some really great ideas once we finish up that ancient Egyptian hex crawl campaign setting of different projects that I might like. We're going to have our patrons vote on what they want to see the most, but I'm definitely going to make sure I slip a point crawl in there to nice. see if anyone, that resonates with anyone else. Nice. Um, one of the things that I like about creating this last year uh, for my work, I wrote um, kind of like a, like a curriculum, if you will. And uh, we were able to publish it and, and we're and we're now implementing the curriculum and uh, i co-wrote it with a friend and after implementing it and and probably three or four months into the implementation of the curriculum that i wrote um i'm already ready to revise and i'm already to to make 2.0 mm-hmm. and 
And so my question for you is, Marching Orders is about ready to drop. How excited on a scale of one to 10 are you for the next project? Oh my God, I have just the ideas I'm having already. Like, yes. <laughs> in, in a perfect world, in a perfect world, it goes great. It yeah. goes great. Uh, the games often, uh, the games often lay out and getting art commissioned. And my part is like creating and writing it and dealing a lot with the campaign suddenly comes to an end. And I find myself with some time. I'm like, well, great. I have an audience for this. Let's make the next batch of adventures, which I have a few ideas for those. And then I have an idea for next year's scene quest of the, the big expansion I'd like to make. But uh, I've gotten much better as I've gotten older of putting one foot in front of the other and crawling before I learned to walk. But the problem is never the lack of ideas, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's lack of time. Yeah. I love how you're saying as I've gotten older. Right. <laughs> Something you learn. <laughs> No, I was just going to add on about that, about like revisions. It's uh, especially on games like this. And again, us playing miniature games is um, you as a play tester can only go so far, but you put it out to the world and all of a sudden hundreds, thousands, hopefully if people are playing it, they're going to find some brokenness pretty quick. Oh, I am. I am certain of that. Uh, <laughs> even just through the play test I've done, it is, it's really neat to see how people use the rules in ways I never thought of. And most of them, I'm like, oh, cool. Yeah, that's an awesome thing to do. And on occasion, I'm like, okay, let's revise that. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Well, um, I was super excited to to grab you and to have you on today. Um, uh, we're gonna, looking forward to for this episode to drop. I'm going to have links in the show notes for all of our listeners to be able to find you directly. And, uh, and I noticed you're in our Discord now, which is cool. So people who are in our Discord conversation, uh, you can you can find Crumbling Keep and message James directly. And By all means, feel free to bug me. Yeah, that's a great way. Um, I love we love talking about games, um, and that's that's why we do. And so it's fun. So, uh, any other comments, questions, closing thoughts before we before we put a bow on this? Well, I was going to say you're talking about social media. I don't see a MySpace for Crumbling Keep. I mean, come on. <laughs> Oh, uh, you have to type in an underscore between the crumbling and the keep. Oh, okay. I kind of hope you were actually searching for a crumbling keep MySpace. <laughs> Last oh, time I was on MySpace, it was because uh, a band had a MySpace, and I thought MySpace was turned into a band website after yeah. that. But, yeah, they, they tried to do a little rebranding uh, a yeah. bit ago of where it's like, this is where you come for your music news now. And I don't know that it ever took off. No, yeah, so. I don't know if it did either. Yeah. Cool. Well, to all of our listeners who uh, join us on the regular, thank you for joining uh, Spellstorm Miniatures today. I want to say thank you to James and Crumbling Keep for being our guest. And uh, I'm super excited about your project. Uh, we'll be able to find Crumbling Keep and the new one at uh, marchingordersgame.com. That'll take you right to the Kickstarter, which will launch on February 13th. If you want to join Spellstorm Miniatures, find us at spellstormminiatures.com. Uh, find us on Facebook. You can join our, our painting group. You can join our Discord server. That's actually where a lot of the conversation takes place. And uh, we would love to have you. In the meantime, uh, we'll catch you later. Dun 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 d
Thank you.